Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And today we are talking about the Clone Wars Season 4, Episode 4, Shadow Warrior. Who a person truly is cannot be seen with the eye. Hmm, I don't know how I feel about that fortune cookie. It's not It's not as tight as some of the ones we've just seen. Well, I mean, this is a Jar Jar episode. So. This is a Jar Jar episode. Everything is just a little bit clumsier. A little bit. Okay, so the plot of this episode, apparently, Sam, Dave Filoni and I share a hive mind because he also loves a good old-fashioned Gungan sovereignty plot, <laughs> and that is what we get this episode. So we start off with scenes from the funding of the war arc and the Battle of Christophsis, which is in the movie and the first couple episodes of the Clone Wars, mm -hmm. in that the war is ongoing and there are problems yeah, so there have been rumors that the Gungans, who as a reminder live underwater on Naboo, are planning to side with the Separatists when they attack Theed, which is the capital of mm -hmm. Naboo. So the rumors are so serious that Padme has come home with Anakin to see what's up. They make plans to rendezvous with last week's bay, Jar Jar Binks. They're flying there in once again the dumbest looking ship in the entire Star Wars universe from the Blue Shadow arc. Fascinating. It's got a periscope where the pilot sits that just scoops up ahead and it flies along. It's very dumb looking. That's delightful. So as soon as they land on Naboo, immediately Jar Jar confirms that, yes, there is something weird going on. Mm -hmm. Boss Leone, who I guess has replaced Boss Nass from mm -hmm. The Phantom Menace, is inflaming the Gungans against Naboo. He's blaming them for treating the Gungans like second-class citizens. He's calling for them to march on Theed. It's like bloody, bloody revolution. So... He's talking to a group of people in Gungan military garb. So it's look, it looks like he's indoctrinating the generals of the Gungan military. Yeah, very dangerous. That's what Padme, Anakin, and Jar Jar see when they hop into Jar Jar's little ship. They it's called head, a bongo. It's called a bongo. They head down to Otaganga. They interrupt this like union meeting. Mm -hmm. But there's something extra weird going on, which is that Boss Leone is like swaying side to side. His eyes are kind of half-lidded. He looks drunk. Mm -hmm. And he's wearing this big gold necklace that is pulsing bright blue. Anakin force pulls it from his neck, smashes it, and Boss Leone is back. All that he can remember is that a Gungan minister named Risha Lu gave it to him. Yep. And that is also the minister who just skedaddled off. You can tell he's uh, evil because he has an absolutely enormous horned nose piercing. It is six inches long if it's one. It he is, is our resident Cajun witch doctor of yeah. the episode. So we smash cut to Risha Lu's witch doctor hut. And it mm -hmm. turns out this is all part of Dooku's nefarious plan. Yeah. Same and plan, different planet. <laughs> yeah, and they're also bringing uh, droids in right now. Yeah, so Dooku is promising to elevate Risha Lu to a leadership position among the Separatists if Risha can create an access point for the Separatist army to move in. This is just like Tamsin on Moncala. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just written in a different font, basically. So Bassioni confronts Risha Lu. Yeah. But it's too late. The battle droids drop down from the ceiling. And while Anakin and Padme are distracted, Risha Lu stabs Boss Leone through the belly. He escapes in Jar Jar's ship. 
And now Bastioni is comatose in the hospital with the Gungan army poised to march on Theed with the separatists. Right. Things are looking very bad. So what do we get, Sam? We get a great big switcheroo. <laughs> They're sitting there and Jar Jar is going through the office of Bastioni and he's like trying on the hats because that is what he does. I mean, what else are you going to do? And they're like, wow, the resemblance is uncanny. You look just like Bastioni. Because it's the same animation model. Anyway, <laughs> yes, Jar Jar is going to impersonate the king. He's going to stop mm -hmm. the army. This is just in time because we cut to Richelieu telling the Gungan army that Leone is dead. They have to honor his last wish and march on Theed. Mm -hmm. So Jar Jar like tries on a couple voices. He has to drop down a couple decibels. I'm pretty sure it's the same voice actor, too, which makes this all the better. So much better. And he's like, the enemy was Risha Lu all along, and then Risha flees into the wilderness of Naboo. And like, honestly, we could have stopped the episode right there. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Part two. So, so Anakin chases after Risha Lu, and then a enormous droid ship lands, and Captain Tarples and... Jar Jar have to go meet with whoever's inside. And who is it? It is the chief clanker himself, General Grievous. General Grievous. Yes. So they come face to face with Grievous. Tarples scoots out of there as fast as he can. Well, so Jar Jar says, uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. You need to go do the thing. And Tarples is like, the thing. Right, I'll go do the thing. He goes outside and calls Padme, and Speed Padme dials says, Padme. you have to capture General Grievous. Yeah, but as we all know, Grievous is a horrifying monster. So Jar Jar like, sprints off the ship <laughs> as fast as he can. It's like rapidly pressing the elevator button, like, please let me out. <laughs> please close, please close, please close. <laughs> they get outside to the landing platform, and Tarples has switched off the entire droid army. And arranged them like dominoes. Yes, and in two seconds, they are surrounded by Gungan warriors. And he's like, I suggest that you surrender. Mm -hmm. But it is grievous. He does not, in fact, surrender. Yeah, he pulls out his lightsabers and begins just carving a path through them. But the, the Gungans have spears and their anti-droid grenade things. Yeah, it's raining. It's dark. There is dramatic music playing. And Tarples goes toe-to-toe -to -toe against General Grievous. So he's fighting him with his staff. He's doing amazing but this is the Clone Wars and we can't have nice things. And so Grievous runs him through with a saber. Oh, with a spear, not a lightsaber. Oh, with a spear. And he says, how does it feel to die? And Tarple says, not die, sacrifice. And, Jar Jar, now! And Tarples stabs Grievous up through his carapace with his spear and then like embeds the spear into the ground. So... Grievous is like crucified on his own exoskeleton. It is amazing. The Gungans are lobbing their electro orbs. They're like pinning him down at every joint like a beetle. It is amazing. And they capture him. And they capture him and they drag him off. Mm -hmm. And Padme is there. She kneels. She cradles Tarple's head. Everyone bows before his sacrifice. But then we get to basically part, part three. three. Chancellor Palpatine has a plan. Yeah, well, Sidious is like, hey, Dooku, um, I need you to 
fix this. This is no good whatsoever. But I know if you trade Anakin for Grievous and go through Padme, that this will all work out. You can do the trade. And Dooku's like, okay, how am I going to capture Anakin? So what he does is he has Risha Liu lure Anakin to his secret laboratory Mm -hmm. in the hills of Naboo, where Dooku is lying in wait. Dooku just straight off the bat kills Risha Liu because you failed me and you've done your job. Step, step. Farewell. Big lightsaber duel. Anakin is surrounded by magna droids Mm -hmm. for the third arc in a row. He is mercilessly electrocuted. Yeah. I mean, my dude just can't catch a break. It's a really cool fight, but it also shows that Dooku is more than competent for dealing with Anakin. Oh, yeah. And it's five on one. So Anakin just can't hang, basically. Dooku pins him up against the wall. He force lightnings him until Anakin drops to the floor steaming. He's knocked out. Mm -hmm. And Dooku calls Padme and gives her an impossible choice. Mm -hmm. He says, you can keep Grievous and win the war but what she's thinking is, okay, I'll win the war, but I'll lose my husband. Mm-hmm. Or I can get my husband back, but lose this incredible chance to end the war, which is what she's wanted for four seasons. Yeah. And Jar Jar is the one who intervenes and says, Isa is our friend. He's our friend. And she's like, I friend. know he's my friend. So she makes her choice. They throw Anakin and his lightsaber back on the ground. They load up Grievous onto the Separatist ship. But we do end the episode on a beautiful note. King Leone tells Jar Jar that he was phenomenal for the second time. He has stopped war between the Naboo and the Gungans. Mm -hmm. And there's peace once again for Naboo. Roll credits. That was the best Jar Jar episode we've ever seen. Was it better than Supply Lines? You love Supply Lines, but this is so much more up my alley. Okay, okay. Supply Lines is my best Jar Jar episode, but... Yes, okay. Um, What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about uh, Alexandre Dumas and the Three Musketeers 20 years after and 10 years after, or The Man in the Iron Mask. Okay. All right. (laughs) Lay it on me. Say more. Okay. So, first of all, Richelieu is Cardinal Richelieu from who is the bad guy of. Yes. Explain this to me as if I was a toddler who had never read The Three Musketeers, which is basically true. Okay. So, first of all, everyone should read The Three Musketeers because it is a romp. It is super fun. The sequel, 20 Years After, is also a romp. And then the third book of the series is The Man in the Iron Mask, which takes place 10 years after that. Mm -hmm. Now... Importantly, The Three Musketeers is just a romp, but the second one is about the war between the Huguenots and the rest of the French aristocracy because Cardinal Richelieu is the bad guy of all these, but he's not really a a bad character. This is in the late 1500s, early 1600s, and Cardinal Richelieu went through all of France and he burned down all the castles and fortresses. Because that is where the local aristocracy would have their bases of power. And then he said, hey, I know the way the French tax structure is set up is that only the poor have to pay taxes. Like if you make a little bit of money, you don't have to pay taxes. If you make no money, you have to pay taxes. Fascinating. Is this real history or is this fiction history? This is real history. Wow. And so uh, Richelieu was a key component of putting a lot of centralized power into France, which led to the reign of Louis XIV, Louis XV, Louis XVI, and their absolute monarchy. Now, 
importantly, he was extremely controversial, which is why he was the bad guy for the Three Musketeers. And in fact, in the later books, they split forces. So that aside, he's just an interesting character, neither good nor bad, although Richelieu is obviously just straight bad. But I mean, maybe. Maybe. He was looking for power. And that is that is the most common thing. That was the most common thing brought against Cardinal Richelieu was why are you trying to take so much power? And the Cardinal's like, yes, I'm the red eminence. I'm trying to take power for myself, but I'm also trying to unify France as a country so it ceases having these intermittent like religious wars and that the end of the Thirty Years' War. Like it's a it's a really controversial time. And the unification of France led to France's ascendancy throughout the next 300 years. That's an interesting parallel because there has been peace on Naboo, between the Naboo and the Gungan. So it's a little bit different than what you're describing. A little bit. Now, finally, the man in the Iron Mask, the reason that aforementioned titular man wears an Iron Mask is because he's a twin brother of the king and hmm. is an exact lookalike. Oh, spicy. Yeah. So all of these are very much an homage to that arc. That there is an advisor who is evil. There is a lookalike who would replace the king. And the point of the heroes is to replace the king with the lookalike until the king can get better. Wow. Or replace the king because the king's bad. Sort of like a Manchurian candidate thing, but with maybe nobler intentions. Well, yeah, because the Manchurian candidate is about uh, mind controlling someone to take over the United States. So importantly, this episode is also a Kurosawa homage to the Hidden Fortress. How's that? Well, I mean, I say that knowing very little about the Hidden Fortress, but what I understand about the inspiration, the source material, is exactly what you're describing, that there is a king who is not able to fulfill the duty, so there's an impersonator who takes his place while they try to solve their problems. Fascinating. So the Kurosawa text translates directly into Shadow Warrior. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, There's a few other times that the switcheroo has come into play the prisoner of zenda a few other famous works i i enjoy that the old switcheroo uh the prince and the pauper uh that kind of thing i enjoy them it's a fun yeah thing. i mean even padme's story yeah. in the phantom menace and attack of the clones involves a big old switcheroo yeah yeah she often is hidden as one of the handmaidens while the handmaidens take her role as monarch mm-hmm. so someone in star wars loves the switcheroo yeah, and having it be part of the Naboo story again, as oh, well as having yeah. Jar Jar be recognized for the work he does. Because this Jar this episode is all about like Jar Jar is actually good at his job. Yeah, absolutely. Also, this episode is such perfect timing. I have been feeling so nostalgic for The Phantom Menace recently. Really? Well, because you know this. I was at the gym the other day, Mm -hmm. and I was like listening to my workout playlist. I'm on the elliptical, and TLC is playing The Phantom Menace pod racing scene while I'm working (laughs) out. And I've got this Graffiti Sick song playing, and I'm getting hyped, and I'm watching the pod racing scene. It is phenomenal. I'm like running faster and faster and faster and faster. It was so exciting, and I got so hyped up that I legitimately teared up at the gym when Anakin and Obi-Wan met for the first time. Wow. As I'm working out. And I just was like, this is the best. This is the best. 
I love Phantom. It was my first Star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. And I loved the callbacks of this episode to that time period, being on Naboo, this, you know, this dynamic between the Naboo and the Gungans. I've always loved Otagunga. I mean, it is just a great time to be called back to. Yeah. And the relationship between Jar Jar, Padme, and Anakin is a really strong one because they've all supported each other and known each other a really long time. At this point, yeah. And there's no really strong power differentials between them, right? So, for example, Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship, and they've known each other roughly the same amount of time as Anakin and Padme, is the master and apprentice. Mm -hmm. But Padme and Anakin and Jar Jar are all equals. Even Jar Jar, because although he's the representative as opposed to the senator from Naboo, he's still the highest ranking Gungan and the second highest ranking person in the galactic politics of yeah, their planet. Yeah, absolutely. He's not only a representative, he's still a general. <laughs> exactly. So we've got a senator, we've got a representative general, and we've got a Jedi. And I never thought about it. They're all pretty equal. Yeah. And that is why when Jar Jar says, I understand, but he's our friend, mm. it's like such a meaningful thing, particularly going back to the previous episode when Jar Jar Bosleone, the first time we see him, is like, I don't know about helping these Nabooians. And Jar Jar's like, we have to. It's Padme. Would you call them the Nabooshoisie? <laughs> <laughs> We've been sitting on that joke since episode one, haven't we? It's been almost a year that I've wanted to tell that joke. It is the best joke I've ever written. Oh, all right, we'll, we'll throw away this post-it note. That is perfect, perfect. <laughs> like about this episode is that the stakes are not particularly high, right? We know that the Gungans don't get to keep Grievous because yeah. we see him in episode three. Mm -hmm. We know Anakin is going to end up fine. I was not exactly on the edge of my seat waiting to see what life-changing thing would happen in mm -hmm. this episode, but I don't care because I love any episode that shows the Gungans in such a positive light. And this yeah. episode is all about a revision of the way that the Gungans have been treated in Star Wars canon so far. Okay, tell me more. Okay, so first of all, the Gungans are the first people that we have seen in four seasons of The Clone Wars who actually captured Grievous. Is, yeah. No one has managed to do that. Obi-Wan, he's always skittering away. Mm -hmm. No one has even managed to constrain him in a physical space. Yeah, because there's that arc where Adi, Galea, and Obi-Wan almost capture him, but then that In retrospect, they don't even have a prayer. I mean, they no. don't get anywhere as close as the Gungans do in this episode. Yeah, and in a way, that speaks to Captain Tarpal's. Yeah. saying it's a sacrifice because what he does is that move where he basically impales himself on the spear to get close enough. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then there is a very notable difference between this episode and the last time we spent a lot of time with the Gungans and Phantom, which is that Boss Nass 
was in charge of the Gungans and mm-hmm. Phantom. And he was a real disservice, I would say, to our understanding of the Gungan people. He was corpulent. Mm-hmm. He was really fleshy. He was not very intelligent. He didn't seem strategic. And one of my least favorite scenes in Phantom is when Qui-Gon is able to mind trick him Mm -hmm. into going along with what Qui-Gon wants by saying, this is what your gods desire. Yeah. So he's not a strong-minded leader. He's capable of being tricked. And this is such a direct contrast to what we see of Boss Leone. Well, Boss Leone is capable of being tricked. Well, he is, but he seems more intelligent. He seems more strategic. He's more decisive. He's more articulate. He's braver. We see him in combat with Risha Liu. Mm-hmm. He just seems like he's not a foolish leader. He's not embarrassing. And he's not cringy. Yeah. And that's the thing about the Gungans is that they've always been so cringy. That is true. And it is completely removed in this episode. Not a cringe to be found. I mean, this episode was like the Gungans have the coolest technology. They have this beautiful city and they're able to overpower the most slippery foe that we've seen in the Clone Wars so far. And, you know, speaking of that a little bit more, I find it interesting that the Gungans, because we saw them a lot in the Mon Cala arc, everyone shows up with their own home grown brand of laser even in the ahsoka hunted arc when the wookies show up they have their plasma muskets or whatever and the gungans show up with spears Hmm. they show up with spears and grenades that eat technology and that works for them and they are so brave they're brave and they're terrifying yeah like that moment when they circle up around grievous and it's raining and it's dark Tarples kind of brings up his arms and he's like ready to fight Grievous. I got the shivers, Sam. Yeah. Like, I would not mess with them. And Captain Tarples is the one who was, uh, you know, famously the other named Gungan in Phantom. Yeah, and totally. He is such a fun character and so cool. We get to see him a fair bit. It's, yeah. Yeah. We can tell a bit about his personality, right? He seems kind of cool, calm, and collected. He's got an old man voice. Yeah. Which is well done in the Gungan accent. So I, I appreciate that because he has very much a a bravery. About yeah. Him. And he seems capable, right? In mm-hmm. like a couple of minutes, he disables the entire droid army. He yeah. pushes them over like nine pins. Yeah. Pretty cool. So anyway, ever since Phantom, I have wanted justice for Jar Jar and justice for the Gungans. And I feel like I got it this episode. I agree. I agree. The arc of Gungan rehabilitation has bent this direction Mm. ever since Phantom. We saw Jar Jar do really cool things in supply lines. And then the Mon Cala arc really brought them together. Oh, yeah. And then there was a few missteps in between. But we were joking about that the other day, about how Jar Jar is surprisingly high up on the Bay list, considering how critically panned the character is and how Ahmed Best was completely uh, bullied. Demonized. For a characterization. He's an actor. You know? He just got paid to do a voice. Yeah. I mean, first of all, don't bully people for something they're paid to do. 
I mean, this is a job for them. A, they show up, yeah. someone tells them what to do, they do the thing, they get paid, yeah. they go home. And it's it's not like, you know, he spent his whole life crafting the character of Jar Jar. That is a George Lucas special. But, mm-hmm. uh, but this is why watching in the chronological order and getting the whole Clone Wars in there is so important. Yeah. And we do have a minor chronology note. When mm-hmm. I read into this episode, this one was supposed to chronologically take place before the Mon Cala arc that yeah, we just recapped. But they wanted a big, splashy, literally, start <laughs> to season four. <laughs> yeah. How long are you sitting on that joke? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> Retribution. Uh, I had another hour of fish jokes after Moncala. Yeah. Here you go. Here you go. So since we're talking about Ahmed Best, mm-hmm. I want to talk about how Ahmed Best is back. Yeah. He was Jar Jar's voice actor for this episode. Yes. For this episode, for basically all of them except for, which arc is that? Is it the Ant? The Dooku captured arc? Yeah, it's the Dooku captured arc. It is, yeah, because we talked at length about how there was a different voice actor for Jar Jar who really did a disservice to the character. Well, he didn't do the voice wrong, but the intentionality of the Gungan accent is really intriguing, right? Because it is serious and silly at the same time. It's just a different way of stringing together words. And when it is put together well, you can have people who are heroes and villains speaking in something which sounds kind of outlandish. But when you try to make it too much like galactic basic or whatever, then it doesn't sound nearly as good. Hmm. So good to have him back. He does a great job with the voice. It was kind of like meeting an old friend, right? Yeah. The voice also... uh Jar Jar pretending to be Boss Leone and like constantly falling out and in and out of character was so funny. Oh my God, it was so great. Just like even the subtitles would say, oh, his voice cracked. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. and he's he's all over the place because Jar Jar has that extremely high voice and Boss Leone has a very low voice. It's It's very funny. I feel like we also got a lot more of Gungan slang in this episode mm-hmm. because Really, we haven't had that many extended conversations with the Gungans where they're talking about a different variety of topics. Mm-hmm. Like, remember when we met Peppy Bao in yeah. the Blue Shadow Virus arc? And Peppy Bao got like two lines. She's great, though. She is phenomenal. I love her. She is an icon of Gungan womanhood. But we didn't get that much out of her in a screenwriting capacity, whereas the Gungans had a lot of screenplay time. Mm-hmm. In this script. Yeah. And it's it's nice to have a touchstone with the Gungans every so often because that was something we talked about uh, for the Citadel arc recently of how that's back to classic Clone Wars mm-hmm. after being in the Mortis arc and being in the Night Sisters arc and having all this weird stuff. Everything's and, so surreal. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be, you know, more weird stuff in the future because there's still some some loose ends to tie up with that. It's nice to have, as you said, a callback to the before the Phantom Menace. And in fact, Anakin, or sorry, not before the Phantom Menace, before the Clone Wars, because Anakin actually asked Dooku about that. Oh, yeah. Because Dooku says, now we're back to where it all began. And Anakin's like, were you here? I was here. Like, is this where it actually began? Anakin seemed really up in his business about that. He didn't understand exactly what Dooku was saying. 
there's such a fascinating conversation that they have in sort of the part three of this episode, Mm -hmm. which is when, as you said, Dooku says the war started here years ago. Yeah. And Anakin's like, you were part of that. And Dooku says the Sith control everything. You just don't know it. Right, which corresponds with the conversation that Dooku has with Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones. Hmm. Because Dooku says, Obi-Wan, the council is being led by a Sith Lord, Mm. and we need to take him out. And Obi-Wan is like, I will hear no more of this poppycock. Mm. And that is when the Clone War started. And obviously, that was the moment where Dooku is trying to take Obi-Wan to be his Sith apprentice to take over. Yeah. But here and now, I think Dooku doesn't even want Anakin as an apprentice. No, I would be very surprised if he did. And also, like, he had the best of the best. He had Savage Opress. And he had Ventress. Mm-hmm. And that, what's interesting about that is I wonder if Palpatine is like, oh, you don't want Anakin. He's too easily manipulated. He's not that good of a fighter. Dooku, you're a way better fighter. And Dooku is a better fighter than Anakin. Uh, I wonder if he, if Palpatine has been casting shade on Anakin in Dooku's mind to mm. prevent Dooku from absconding with Anakin as a Sith acolyte. Ooh, games within games. That I mean, the Sith control everything, and Dooku has proven himself to be a useful idiot in the parlance of that time period because he's not quite good enough to be at the level of Palpatine. That's so interesting. Maybe that's another reason why the stakes of this episode did not feel high, Mm -hmm. because as soon as there was a real chance that the Gungans had Grievous and they could end the war, Palpatine comes zooming in, you know, over Mm -hmm. Zoom to talk to Dooku. And once again, it's proven that the Separatists and the Sith win because they're willing to play dirty. Palpatine Mm -hmm. knows exactly what is going on between Anakin and Padme. He started it. He started it. He manipulated it. He fanned the flames. And they're just his little pawns on his chessboard. And it's the easiest thing in the world for him to say, oh, I know how to rig this to my benefit. Just tell Padme that she can't have Anakin back until she gives Grievous back. Yeah. That goes back to something we've talked about recently and is also, you know, the main plot point of Spaceballs, which is definitely a canonical Star Wars story, (laughs) is that uh, good will always or evil will always triumph because good is dumb. Mm. But really what it is, is that evil is willing to break the rules and the evil is willing to say you're breaking the rules. Good is always breaking the rules. The rules don't matter. So I can break the rules whenever I want. Or they'll say, well, you have to follow the rules, but I don't have to. And that is what Palpatine is doing here because he didn't involve the council in this decision. If Palpatine had said, hey, Yoda, hey, my chancellors, hey, Galactic Senate, let's talk about if we should trade Grievous for Anakin, it would have been a resoundingly no. Hmm. Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and Mace Windu and Yoda would have been like, this is a fair trade. Like, yeah. we, we can do better than Anakin. He's great, but we can we can do better, especially if it ends the war. We, we don't know what's going to happen to Anakin after we end the war, and we're honestly scared. But because he says, call Padme directly. Yeah, 
isolate Padme, keep her mm-hmm. away from anyone who would advise her differently, mm-hmm. make sure that she's got no external influences at all so that she is alone spiraling with this decision and locked away from the forces that might make her change her mind. Yeah. The was- only people around are Bassioni and Jar Jar yeah. who just reinforce her decision. They say Anakin's our friend. And unfortunately, in a way that that like shining star is also a black mark on Jar Jar's record because he always does the right thing. Jar Jar always does the right thing. And that makes him so incredibly easy to be manipulated. Mm. He is always manipulated into doing the right thing and telling people to do the right thing. Mm. Like when in Attack of the Clones, he votes to give the Chancellor emergency powers to start the war. Was that the right thing at the time? Probably. Like, For all intents and purposes, based on the information that the Senate had, mm -hmm. that might have really truly seemed like the right move. And it would have been impossible to imagine that the Chancellor was a Sith Lord. Because, first of all, all legends of the Sith are, like, you know, obscure and redacted. And even then, the idea of saying, oh, well, my opponent is a Sith Lord, the Chancellor is a Sith Lord, people would be like... What are you saying? That's just negative advertising. What? What's your angle? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you create a situation in which no information can be trusted, yeah, you can make the narrative whatever you want it to be. Exactly. Ooh. And so that's why Palpatine didn't get any narrative involved whatsoever. It is crazy to me, though, that Dooku and Grievous and Anakin and Padme and Jar Jar are all on the same planet at the same time. If I'd been, you know, Stacey Tan or Plo Koon, I would have been like, let's just burn the planet. It saves so much time. Sam, Maybe. That's terrible. Taking out Dooku and Grievous would, according to the knowledge they had, end the war. So that brings up a great point, which we talked about at length in the Citadel arc, mm-hmm. which is the Jedi's unwillingness to go the extra mile to oh, get the job yeah. I done. I need to get Tarkin on the phone. That's yeah. Tar- Call Tarkin. Tarkin would slag the planet in a heartbeat. Absolutely he would. I mean, little spoilers for Rogue One here, but uh, Tarkin blew up a planet to cover his Grand Theft Death Star. Oh, so. my God. <laughs> When in doubt, if you need a planet to just be erased, call Grand Admiral Tarkin. Grand Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, I mean, it's not like there's a shortage of planets. Yeah. I mean, this just brings up that utilitarian point, which is that if you're trying to create the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people, yeah, you probably should have blown up Naboo while Grievous (laughs) and Dooku were on it. And like, who cares about the consequences? A senator? A representative? Some Gungans, a palace. Yeah. You know, so that brings up two things for me that I find interesting. And these are, were kind of, I'm, I'm noodling here a little bit. Okay. But, um, Noodle away. It is canon that at one point Tatooine had oceans. Yes. The great desert sea mm-hmm. was an actual sea. sea. And I wonder like, if some evil despotic overlord or some company, evil despotic company thousands or hundreds or tens of years ago was like, yes, we are packaging up all your water and selling it at a profit back to you or something like that. Uh, And then what happens? The people survive and change. Hmm. And so like no amount of evil you can inflict on something will actually result in its actual demise. Hmm. I'm also reminded of how this plot point works, not this particular one, but the plot point of 
Naboo and Tatooine and Mustafar and uh, Kamino are all the same planet in the Darts and Droids webcomic, and it is hilarious. Hmm. So they just keep stealing the water and using it for various purposes, and I, I enjoy that a lot. Interesting. I would just say, moral of the story, if Dooku calls you and promises you that you can have a special spot in the Separatist army for the small price of creating turmoil on your home planet... Do not do that thing. We now have two arcs in a row, like two back-to-back explanations of why that is a very bad idea. This all calls to mind one of the very important things of tradecraft when you are doing sketchy stuff, which is never meet people in person ever. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, never, uh, what? Never go with a hippie to a third location. Like, never do anything. Is that a John Mulaney reference? It, it's, I think he stole it He's from trying somewhere. to get me to a secondary location. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, if you're, if you have to meet up with someone, meet them in like a park where there's tons of witnesses. Hmm. Otherwise, just be like, no, you will leave the uh, memory stick full of Bitcoin addresses in a sandwich at the bottom of this dumpster, and I will pick it out at my own leisure. Are you saying that Risha Liu girlbossed too close to the Separatists? I think he got dragged around by his nose ring. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is fun, right? That Risha Liu is this like witch doctor interesting mystical Gungan figure. Mm -hmm. When we see him, he's in this little hut. He's got these clouds of incense. There's that bone through his nose. And he has this unexplainable way of possessing and controlling Bassioni. So in the context of the living force versus the cosmic force, he's utilizing the both of them because as a very living planet presumably naboo has tons of force energy on it It is strong in the force Hmm. and so a gungan who is the native of that planet would probably have some way or some path to recognize the magic in it interesting yeah i've been thinking about this a little bit how all of the different cultures in star wars have some additional thing that makes them more alive than their circumstances would strictly warrant. And it's like the spark of the force carries on through all living things in the Star Wars universe. And there are some hardy practitioners of it. You know, like uh, Chewbacca could even be one because he's an ace mechanic from a planet that doesn't really have metal. Yeah, interesting. And of course, the the heroic pilots, Han and Poe, are people who like grew up on starships, and that is their living force, is that mm. they're just like the best star pilots around. The idea of characters being able to like move their their history and bring it along with them and actually enact their force. On the will of on on the will of others or on on the universe is really interesting to me, and that's what Risha Liu is doing. He uses the ancient Gungan magics. Yeah, which I think Jar Jar even references. That's what he says. Yeah, fascinating. I don't know. It's just like the more I get, the more little morsels people throw me of Star Wars cultures. I'm like, if you give a moose a muffin, the mm-hmm. moose wants a glass of milk. I'm like, if you tell me about mysterious Gungan magic, I need all of it. 
It reminds me of when we did the season one retrospective with my cousin Chris, and he said the prequel trilogy is like a hamburger and the Clone Wars is all the condiments. Ooh, the lettuce and the tomato yeah. and the mayo. Because that is what this type of episode is, is this is like the... Uh, this, this is the sesame seeds on top of the bun. Yeah. It's it's extra. It's absolutely extra. Yeah. But it adds a bunch to the where are they now, and it actually leaves you wanting more. It totally does. I mean, when I looked at this episode and I began to watch it, I thought, I don't know, this really feels like a filler episode, and I feel like we're too late in the Clone Wars for that to be excusable anymore. Hmm. But that's just one way of looking at it. If you look at it as the special sauce on your hamburger of the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, give me all the condiments. Yeah. I want them all. It's also, I think, valuable to look at it as a, a respite. A respite? The respite because it is difficult to keep doing these like triple header arcs mm. and these big arcs with no pause in between them. And we're coming up soon on some extremely serious stuff. Mm. The phrase red eminence is going to be coming up soon, and that's going to be dark. That does not sound good. It's Cardinal Richelieu's nickname. So there's a lot of cool stuff that is coming, and having the occasional episode where characters like R2 and C-3PO or Jar Jar are just goofing around continues to set the tone for this show to be one which is loving and fun which is something that the clone wars has a tendency to shy away from because it likes to take itself too seriously from it does to time. take itself very seriously but not I mean, in this episode the the back-to-back arcs of the night sisters and the mortis arc just my brain melted out of my ears yeah i really needed something like this with a little bit of fun a little bit of playfulness some restorative justice for my gungan compatriots mm-hmm. just being phenomenal being the shadow warriors in defense of their home planet. Yeah, Yeah, I needed some of that. And for being a unifying force with the people who they have learned to trust. Yeah, I think at its heart, this episode was about friendship. And it was really beautiful to see Jar Jar, Anakin, and Padme prioritizing their friendship, the Gungans prioritizing the friendship with the Naboo, and just not being willing to bow to the forces of darkness and saying, yeah, friendship is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. That's nice. For sure. That gives me a Star Wars feeling. Okay. Speaking of Star Wars feelings. Speaking of Star Wars feelings and the feelings that I have about Star Wars. It's time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Swamp edition. Baywatch. Baywatch. Okay, Sam, who's your bay? Captain Tarples. Okay, tell me why. Uh, his heroic sacrifice, his bravery of going toe-to-toe with General Grievous, his ability to have Jar Jar. First of all, he sees Jar Jar, and Jar Jar is like pretending to be Boss Leone. He's like, sup, Jar Jar. <laughs> he's like, I can tell it's you. And then he's... Jar Jar's like, okay, I need you to go do the thing that we talked about because they're talking in front of General Grievous. Right, right. And he's like, ah, yes, the thing. 
I will go do the thing. The very important thing, which I will do. And he goes out, does the thing, which is, okay, I need to capture General Grievous. So I'll just turn off all his droids like I did last time I got into a battle with them. I mean, talk about doing the dang thing. He did the dang thing. And then his sacrifice, his last words, Mm -hmm. his ability to, like, not a lot of people have gone toe-to-toe with Grievous and lived. Absolutely not. And- no one, as you mentioned, has gone toe-to-toe with Grievous and captured him. He is a terrifying metal beetle monster with lightsabers at every appendage. Yeah. Obi-Wan, not yet. Ahsoka, no. Tarples, yes. Yeah. So he's there. He is brave. He deserves a nod. And he, you know, this is also a little bit of speaking of Gungan restorative justice. Deserves the nod for Phantom too, and for Moncala. He deserves mm. he deserves a little tap on the holes for yeah. showing up and doing the work. So. Gold stars for Tarples. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Okay, who's your bay? My bay is also Captain Tarples. What? <laughs> yeah. Because because Captain Tarples makes the ultimate sacrifice for friendship. He says, I always believed in the friendship between the Gungans and the Naboo. Yeah. He is the literal definition of the ride or die friend. And also, he is the one at the very beginning when he leaves the meeting of the Gungan generals and the mind controlled Bastioni talks to Jar Jar and yeah. says, Something's wrong. Yeah. Ever since this Richelieu character showed up, he's got that discernment. He really does. I appreciate that old warrior. Yeah, me too. And also, like, who would win in a battle, the Naboo or the Gungans? I think it would have been decimating for everybody. I think it would have been mutually assured destruction. Tarples made it possible to avoid a total, total bloodbath. Yeah. Yeah, especially because the way it was set up, if Tarples hadn't sacrificed then Dooku could have captured or killed Anakin because Anakin had allowed himself to be drawn off by himself. Yeah, totally. And Anakin versus Dooku, Dooku's going to win. Tarples made it possible to continue the Clone Wars. Yeah. That is my headcanon. And it was a battle between a captain and a general. And you know who won? It wasn't the general. No. It was the lowly captain. Who only had two arms and no metal and factory original eyeballs. And one spear. And one spear. So cool. For me, General Tarples was the actual Shadow Warrior. Yeah. The real Shadow Warriors were the Gungans we met along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Also, honorary Baywatch to Ahmed Best. He deserved it. He was great. It was like seeing an old friend. He did a phenomenal job. I was really happy to hear his voice. Yeah. If we we gave Baywatch to the actors, uh, D. Bradley Baker would be way up there, but Ahmed Best deserves it for this. Also, um, Corey Burton, who is the voice of Risha Liu. You know who we know Corey Burton from? He was Zero the Hutt. (laughs) Did you hear that in Risha Liu's voice? Uh, I didn't. I did. That is wild. I heard it. It was there. It was very Southern. That is a range. Oh, yeah. He's got the range. That is a range.
All right, that about wraps us up. Join us next week for season four, episode five and six, the R2 and C3PO arc. Whoa, classic R2 and C3PO mess around. I know, they haven't like had a lot of bonding opportunities recently. Since so. they were, you know, tortured. Ever since. In their Jogan fruit arc. Ever since R2 got cleaned and C3PO <laughs> did not, and they have harbored resentments ever since oh it's time for the best friends to hang out some more it will be their programs to be that way it'll be a lot of fun and as always thank you so much to our listeners you and our patreons and you can find us on all of our social medias at growing up skywalker and send us to the old warrior in your life whether Mm. they are an old soul or they are old (laughs) Just old. Just old. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye.